the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. Well, we're going to be in the book of Philippians here this morning, Philippians chapter number one. They say that uh, there are three types of salad eaters in the world. Uh, The first group is people who load their plate up with a lot of romaine lettuce and then go through the salad bar or whatever the ingredients there and pick and choose which ingredients they want to put on there and then drench it with their favorite type of dressing. Then there's the group that likes to uh, get the ingredients on their plate and then pick them apart and eat them individually. Then there's a group that likes to have their salad mixed with everything, whether it be olives and onions and tomatoes and cucumbers and all kinds of different vegetables and then drenched with uh, olive oil, which accentuates the flavor and brings out each one of the individual flavors of that salad. As we uh, approach this letter here to the church at Philippi, Paul addresses the whole church, the entire church. He says, to all the saints and the overseers and the deacons. And many of these house churches that uh, Paul wrote to and and, uh, really planted were composed of probably about 30 people. And uh, I just want you to think about all the kinds of different people that were within these church uh, house groups here that uh, when they would meet together. They could have included a, a craft worker uh, in whose home they met. Uh, in this case, it was more likely Lydia, um, that she was a, a woman that sold uh, fine linen of purple. Um, it could have been uh, that craft worker along with their spouse and their children. Uh, it could have uh, included a couple of male slaves, possibly a female domestic slave. Um, could have even been a dependent relative that was living in that home as well. Uh, some people who may have been renting a space in that home, they could have been renting a small room uh, in that home. Uh, some family members of a householder who himself does not participate in that house church. Uh, there could have been some freed slaves who did not participate in the church. There could have been even a, a couple of homeless people a few migrant workers renting small rooms in the home. And add to all of this mix, you would have Jewish folks and perhaps an enslaved prostitute. And you can totally see how the early church was comprised of so many different mix of groups of people uh, that would meet together. These churches were made up of men and women, citizens and freed slaves and slaves who had no legal rights, Jews and Gentiles, people from all moral walks of life. Perhaps most notably, even people from elite classes all the way down to the social scale, perhaps even to homeless people. So no doubt with all the differences that were comprised in these early churches, How did they maintain unity and fellowship? When you have such a diverse amount of people, how did they maintain fellowship together and unity together? 
Likewise, how can we, as a diverse church body, achieve joyful fellowship? How can we maintain unity? How can we maintain our fellowship when there are so many differences amongst us? Well, here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. God's word gives us the ingredients to make and maintain joyful fellowship. Let's take a note, a few of the things here. First of all, prayer. Notice how many times Paul uses the word all here when he speaks to the Philippian church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I believe Paul here was stressing the importance of unity and fellowship in those who were part of the church at Philippi. He included all of them. There was no division of their social classes or standings. Paul recognized this and, and uh, he believed this because of what the gospel does with humanity and the differences that we bring. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so here is a group of diverse people coming together, meeting together with so many differences, so many social differences, and they come together for what purpose? For fellowship, for unity. Why? Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come together through Christ. Notice how Paul really drives this home. Look what he says. They were all remembered. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. They were all prayed for. They all held a prominent place in Paul's heart. They all were cared about. They all were loved. None of them were put aside. All of them were included together. He included all of them. And Paul does not recognize any differences. He teaches us by example to make our prayers and to give thanks in our prayers for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't it interesting that sometimes see, we, have this, we have this idea of fairness in our lives, and it's, it's really skewed. In other words, how we, how we treat others or how we interact with others is based upon how they treat us or how they react with us. And so if we feel that they mistreat us or if we feel that they are not fair to us, then we in return do what? We mistreat and we think about them not the way that God wants us to think about them. 
But see, Paul didn't do that. He says, I'm praying for you all. All of you are included. He loves them all. He prays for them all. All of them are dear to him. And so if we want to see unity and fellowship within the church body, then all need to be included. Specifically, one of the ingredients for joyful fellowship here, as Paul talks about, is prayer. Look what he says, verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. With joy, he prays for them. And so when he thought of them, it brought joy, and it was his prayers that carried him, carried them to the throne of grace. Notice all the things that we can take away from this passage that we can pray for one another. In your own individual lives, as, as we as collectively as a church body, we should be praying for one another. Notice these things. We should be praying for their partnership in the gospel. Verse 5. Verse 6, we should be praying that the work of the gospel would be complete in their lives. These are things that we can actually pray for one another. Verse 7, that we should be praying because we are all partakers of grace. The grace of God is at work in your life just as much as it's at work in my life. But are we praying for one another that the grace of God would continue to work in each other's lives? You see, these are things that we can be praying for that would bring unity and fellowship within the body of Christ. And so I want to challenge you to pray with the directory. Maybe even ask God to put one person on your heart and begin to pray for them. Pray for them for some of these things just as Paul prayed for them. Sometimes we only think of the negative and unlikable things with people. And sometimes we never focus in on the good qualities and the good things that that person brings to the fellowship of the believers. And so we should pray with joy as we think of them. How does this happen? Well, we must remember that there is no division in Christ. But more importantly, when I recognize that I, me, I am the chief of sinners who has been shown great mercy and grace, I in turn should deal with others with mercy and grace. Titus 3 verses 5 through 6 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so God has dealt with us with great mercy. He's dealt with us with great grace even though that we are the chief of sinners. And we, in turn, should be doing the same and praying for one another, encouraging one another, strengthening the body, because all of us, all of us, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, if you have repented of sin and you believed in Christ as your only hope of salvation, then all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. And so we pray together. And so prayer is one of those things. Here's the other thing, partnership in the gospel. This is another ingredient that brings unity and joyful fellowship is partnership in the gospel. Verse five, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Remember, it was probably about 10 years from the time Paul planted this church to the time where he's now sitting in prison and he's writing this letter. And he says, you have been partnered with me for the gospel. There's something about serving Christ together and partnering together that brings unity. 
What it comes down to is the purpose of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because of this, because of what Christ has done in your life, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. After Christ's resurrection from the dead, he gave his disciples instructions to them about the work that they were to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes when unity begins to break down and fellowship begins to break down, it, that's in turn what we forget that we are supposed to be doing. We forget that we are supposed to be preaching the gospel, engaging people with the gospel, uh, reaching out to the lost world. And we forget that. So what do we start to do? We start to look around amongst ourselves. We start to look at things and, and uh, different things. And we're like, oh, I don't like that. And we forget what we are supposed to be commanded to do. And this is what brings about unity and fellowship, is partnering in the gospel. And so to bring about joyful fellowship within the body of Christ, we must remember what our purpose is. We are to be preaching the gospel and making disciples. God accomplishes that as all of us use our talents and our gifts. You see, when we come together as a body of believers... Each one of us has unique gifts and talents that we bring. And when those things work together, God accomplishes his purpose through the church. And it brings about unity. It brings about fellowship. Again, I challenge you to think about how you can be involved with this local congregation. Think about how you can partner with another believer, even in this congregation, to be part of the gospel. Perhaps God is leading you to minister uh, in some particular certain way. God has placed something heavy upon your heart that you believe that this could be used for the ministry and the furtherance of the gospel. Do it. Partner. Do it. And so the believers here at Philippi were used to send Paul a much-needed financial gift. Even when Paul was in prison, that was partnering with them for the gospel. Here's the third thing, to be a partaker of grace. Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So another aspect of having joyful fellowship is that we need to remember is that we all of us are partakers of grace. I can't tell you how important it is to grasp this. Notice what Paul says here. He talks about the work that God had begun and how it would be completed on the day of Christ. 
And so when we think about the gospel and we think about that we are saved by grace and the work of Christ in each of our lives is brought about by a working of grace as we yield to him and repent of sin and allow the gospel to make us into the image of Christ, all of us are partakers of that same grace. This helps us understand that Christ is at work in your life and in my life. We're all partakers of this grace. And we're allowing Christ to mold us and shape us, transform us. Paul actually says here that these believers at Philippi were partakers of his imprisonment. Look what he says. He says, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. How is this possible? Well, see, these believers shared in Paul's ministry in two major areas. First, they shared in his imprisonment. Whether Paul was free to preach the gospel or trapped in a prison cell, the Philippian Christians sent him their love and support. Many others would leave Paul during his ministry. In fact, listen to what Paul says in his letter as he wrote to, uh, Second Timothy, uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy here, chapter 4, verses 9 through 18. He says, do your best to come to me soon. He's saying, Timothy, can you come, come visit me? He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Demodia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Bring the word of God, Timothy. I need it. Bring the word of God. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Wow. Here's Paul in a, in a, in a prison writing to Timothy, young son in the faith. And he says, you are a partaker of me in imprisonment because you've supported me and you stood by me. And Paul here is writing to Timothy and he says, for all have deserted me. They've left. And he says, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the believers here at Philippi were faithful and they remained faithful to Paul and they supported him. They were a partaker of grace. Secondly, they shared in his ministry of the gospel. This included the defense of the gospel. This was speaking against false teaching. And the confirmation, the positively presenting the gospel. He says, you are partakers of this with me. You have been speaking out against false teaching, false teachers. If you can remember what Paul said to the, uh, the church at Ephesus in Acts 20, 28. He says, I know that after my departure, he was saying this to the elders. He says, fierce wolves are going to come in not willing to spare the flock. And he says, these men will rise up even from within your own selves. 
And so the church here at Philippi, they took it upon themselves to speak out against false teaching and the confirmation of the gospel. And so remember, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a partaker of grace. And it's in this unity that we find our fellowship, that we are doing this together as a body of believers. Here's the last one. Love each other with the affection of, G- of Christ Jesus. Look what he says here, verse 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul here now says why he feels this way about the believers. Look at verse 8. He calls God as his witness. He says, God is my witness to know that this is true. That this is what I really feel about you. I would say a lot of the stuff that goes on within the church today is a lot of hypocrisy. Meaning we have compartmentalized our lives so much that when we gather together, is there real love? Is there real unity? Is there real fellowship and joy? Are we just doing it to put on a show? Paul says, God is my witness how I feel about you. If God were to call Paul in the courtroom today, and say, is this true, Paul? Paul, with absolute certainty, could say, yes, this is true. This is the love that I have for them. Could we say the same for our fellow believers in Christ? Notice the words that he uses here. He says, I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you. And these were not just mere empty words. He was not merely using flattery. He really, truly loves them. The word yearn means to have a strong desire for something with implication of need. Paul actually uses this word quite often as he describes the intense desire for fellow believers. He uses it in Romans 1.11, 2 Corinthians 9.14, 1 Thessalonians 3.6, 2 Timothy 1.4. We see him using it later on here in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 26, as he says, for he, speaking about uh, um, Epaphroditus here, when he comes, he says, for he has been longing for you. (laughs) He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Paul uses this word yearn to indicate the depth of his longing to be with the Philippians and experience in person their fellowship in the gospel. And again, he emphasizes this, look, that he longs for all of them, not just merely some of them, all of them. You see the fellowship there? I yearn for you all. The love of Christ working in Paul's life is bringing about unity and fellowship. I long for you all. I yearn for you all. But not only does he yearn for them, he does it with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
The word affection has its roots by referring to one's inward parts, such as the kidneys or intestines, but later came to mean expressing one's emotions at the deepest level. Notice how Paul uses this word in connection with fellow believers in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And so he uses it in connection with the believers that I have this yearning, this longing, this affection towards you. When we look in the Gospels as we see how Jesus interacts with people and how he displayed compassion towards them, we find that word affection of how, just like how Paul was using it here, was the same type of characteristic that Christ had towards other people when he interacted with them. It's found in Matthew 9.36, Matthew 14.14, 14, Matthew 15.32, Matthew 20, verse 34, Mark 1.41, Mark 6.34, Mark 8.2, Luke 7.13, and Luke 10.33. And so this word has a richer meaning as we see how Christ himself had a deep desire of affection for those whom he ministered to. And so Paul here in this letter, what he is saying is that he has a deep inward desire for them with affection that comes from where? From himself? No, from Christ Jesus. Notice the fellowship here. Paul is longing for them with a deep-seated affection that comes from Jesus Christ himself as they experience fellowship in the gospel. You see, as believers, we experience the very same affection that Jesus Christ showed those he encountered because Christ lives in us. And so to experience that and express that because of what Christ did for us, we can, show the same, we can show the same affection towards others because of what Christ has done. So let's make the connection here. If you know Christ, then you are a partaker of grace and the gospel is being confirmed in your life. You see, as you and I grow in Christ, the gospel has power to produce affection, not only for Jesus Christ himself, but also for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so this affection is deepened as believers experience fellowship in the gospel. People who have little or nothing in common on an economic, social, political, or ethnic basis are brought together by the Holy Spirit in unified devotion to Christ in the advancement of the gospel. You see, it is the gospel, the fact that Christ was sent from heaven to become our sin substitute, the bearer of the wrath of God. It is the showcasing of God's love as we who were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the adhesive that holds everything together. And that's why I say the gospel is so important in the life of the believer. It's so important in the life of the church. Because if we start drifting away from the gospel, the truth of what it says, what happens? It brings about disunity. It brings about Hate, not love, 
division, not fellowship. Paul had trusted God to complete the good work which was started in their lives. For the moment they trusted Christ Jesus for salvation, and it was this deep love and intense yearning towards all that are united together in Christ that caused Paul to cry out to them all. God is my witness, he says, of how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul had discovered how to love his brothers and sisters in Philippi in the same way that Christ loves us and gave himself for us. And see, this love is not something that can be fired up on your own. This is not something that you just muster up on your own. Well, I gotta love them. You know, I, I just really gotta love them. Doesn't work that way. It only comes about as you love Christ. And as you obey Christ and you follow Christ, your love for Christ will increase. And in turn, his love will be produced in your heart. And then you can love others as Christ loved them. And so Christ-like affection is not a love that we work up for ourselves. It is the love of Christ himself being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit being manifested in our lives so that the love of Christ in our heart may stream out from us to others with whom we come in contact with. And so you're going to have to abide in Christ. I'm going to have to abide in Christ. We as, a belie as believers in this congregation are going to have to abide in Christ in order for there to be unity, in order for there to be fellowship amongst us and allow the love of Christ to be the adhesive, the glue that holds everything together. Colossians 3, 12 uh, through verse 16 says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive and above all, put above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.